How are you? Okay, this side of the room is present and awake. Josh is back there. That's great. Let me go ahead and before I get, uh, kiddos, you are, you are welcome to be dismissed now. Your teachers are in the back back there ready to uh, take you to some, uh, some age-appropriate teaching. Uh, great to see all of you this morning. My name is Robert. I'm one of the, the pastors here uh, at the church at Blue Ridge. And let me, um, let me say to you, Merry Christmas. I hope you all had a, uh, a great weekend and a, a great week before that. Um, we are uh, currently, um, uh, as you see with our, with our Advent wreath, we are, we're celebrating um, Advent, celebrating Christmas and the, the coming of our Savior and our Lord Jesus Christ. And um, so, so we're, uh, we're working through some of the, the more traditional uh, Advent Christmas narratives uh, in the Bible. So, so if you've got your Bible this morning, take it out and turn to the, the Gospel of Luke chapter 1. Uh, Gospel of Luke, chapter 1. Um, our, our text this morning is, is going to be verses 39 um, all the way down uh, through 56. Luke 1, 39 through, uh, through 56. Christmas uh, is, is very special uh, to me, very special, I, I know, to, to many of you, um, especially to our church, because of, of the celebration of, of Advent. Um, if you don't know, the, the word Advent actually means appearing or arrival, and it's the, the time of year when we, we celebrate, we anticipate um, uh, the first coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in the manger, but then also look forward to, uh, to His second coming. And so uh, we've, we've been talking about those things, um, looking at those things from the Scriptures, and if you were here with us last week, um, Pastor Daniel taught us from Luke 1, verses 26 through 38, where uh, Luke records uh, the angel Gabriel being dispatched by God to a woman named Mary, who we know very little about, right? Uh, within the Gospel of Luke, we don't know a ton about this woman named Mary. We know she's from Nazareth. We know she's engaged to a man named Joseph. And we know that she's a virgin. And that's, that's really it. She's a nobody from nowhere with no husband, and yet God has chosen her to be the mother of the Messiah. These are, these are incredible things within the story of Luke's gospel. They're, they're meant to kind of uh, get our attention and cause our eyebrows to be raised. Like, what is, what is going on here, right? She's a, a nobody from nowhere with no husband, and God has chosen her to be the mother of the Messiah. The, the promise to Abraham would be kept through her child. He would sit on King David's throne forever. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, according to Gabriel, as we saw last week, the, the promise rescuer of God's people had been conceived in her womb. Wow, like that, that's incredible. Now, this morning, our text, it, it comes right on the heels of that, and it's often referred to as Mary's Magnificat, if you've ever heard that before. Mary's Magnificat, and actually comes from the, the Latin translation of the word magnify that she uses in verse 45. Now, the thing you need to know about our passage is that over the years, this passage has been terribly, terribly mishandled and misinterpreted. It's, been, uh, it's actually been used and viewed as a call to revolution um, for the poor to overthrow the ruling elite. Um, when the British ruled India, it was outlawed. It couldn't be read. 
And the same thing could be said about the country of Guatemala. You couldn't even read this passage uh, up until about 1980. It was outlawed. Others have, have used this passage to uh, support the deification or even the, the worship of Mary, right? Uh, maybe you have a Catholic friend or neighbor, right? And then still others have even just used this passage um, to point out a woman who we see incredible faith in, someone that, that maybe we should seek to be like. And, and all of these, all of these interpretations, all of these ways of looking at the Magnificat, none of them grasp the full weight of what Luke wants us to see by his inclusion of these events in our Bible. Mary has been caught up in a plan that's older than time itself, that's started way before um, we hear that God created in the book of Genesis. This plan to restore peace to the universe, peace to the entire creation. Uh, this morning, we lit the peace candle in our Advent wreath. Now, when most of us think of the term peace, we think of the, the absence of conflict or war, right? Um, no more war, no more conflict, no more fighting. But in the Bible, the idea of peace is much bigger than that. It, it's, it's much larger. It's not just the, the absence of war or conflict. Peace, if, you, if, you've, if you're familiar with the Old Testament term for it, shalom, uh, peace actually includes the, the restoration, the, the repair, the, the repayment of wrongs being done. So, for example, in 1 Kings chapter 9, verse 25, Solomon is said to have brought peace to the temple because he completed its construction. It was incomplete. Solomon made it complete. He brought peace to it. Or in Exodus 22.4, if, if your animal destroys your neighbor's field, the way that you bring peace to your neighbor is by repaying him for his loss. It's not just the cessation of conflict. It's the replacement of conflict with something better. The repayment, the restoration. So ever since Genesis chapter 3 in the Bible, when the first humans believed the serpent's lie and plunged the world into sin and chaos... Creation, the entire creation has experienced no peace. No peace. Conflict, war, brokenness, all of those things, all bad things have reigned. There's been no peace between God and man, between man and, and fellow men, and between God and the creation. But God made this really um, interesting, this really veiled promise in chapter 3 of Genesis, in verses 14 through 15, God promised that he was going to bring a seed, a descendant from Eve who would crush the serpent and restore peace to the entire creation. God was not only going to um, end the war between him and his people, his creation, he was actually going to bring something better. He was going to bring them peace. It was, a, it was a promise to, to bring them something better than the brokenness that they had brought into the world. And friends, if you're reading through the story of the Bible, every word of the Old Testament that follows Genesis 3, 14 through 15, drips with anticipation of who that descendant is going to be. Who is going to come and exchange the brokenness for something better? Now, one by one, the main characters of the Bible, the Old Testament, are paraded through the story, right? Noah, Abraham, Moses, even King David. They all come, they all go, 
and yet peace doesn't come with them. Brokenness remains, right? There's, there's no peace. Any, uh, any mothers in here, even fathers for that matter, ever dream about the things your kids might do one day, right? Maybe, maybe you dream that uh, your son would be the one to grow up and cure cancer, right? Or uh, your little girl, maybe she'll be the first president, female president of the United States, right? If they're anything like my kids, then you see them like digging for a booger in their nose, right? Or they come out of the room with their underwear on their head kind of thing, right? You think, well, maybe not, maybe not, right? Well, here's the deal. Every Hebrew mother after Eve wondered, is my baby, is my son going to be the one who brings peace, who is the seed, the descendant, who would crush the serpent's head? Would it be my son? Many wondered, but there was only one. There was only one, and her name is Mary. So, so Mary has been wrapped up in this story, this story of really her entire nation, the nation of Israel, and really the story of the entire world. Mary has just found herself thrown right into the middle of it. Her son is the promised one, the descendant. And Luke wants us to see in Mary this morning an example of faithfulness to believe that. We can trust, just as Mary, this is kind of the, the main thing that we're going to be running after this morning. We can trust, just as Mary, that God has kept his promise to bring peace to the world through Jesus. Let me say that again. We can trust that God has kept his promise to bring peace to the world through Mary. I told you, finally, we're going to get to our text this morning. Follow along with me, uh, chapter 1. We're going to read verses 39 through 41. Luke writes, In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped. Elizabeth's baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, um, as many of you, we, we have some, some pregnant ladies in the, in the auditorium here. As many of you guys know, uh, when, when a birth is announced, when, when someone is pregnant, that's a time of excitement, right? Of great excitement. I, I remember um, learning uh, that Julie was pregnant and not being able to contain myself, right? I was sworn to secrecy for the first two months. I couldn't tell a word. I literally made it a week before I let it slip out that we were, having, uh, we were having a baby. We were having Grant, our first one, right? And so Mary is the, the same way. She's excited. There's excitement, all right? And so born of the Spirit, right? The Savior of the world is in her belly. We made a baby the normal way, okay? Mary is having a baby, and there is nothing normal about it. The Holy Spirit has conceived a child in her womb. But not only, she's not the only one that's pregnant, remember? Gabriel told Mary last week, if you were here, that her, her relative, her cousin Elizabeth, is also pregnant. Now, we don't have time to go back and, and look at the story surrounding Elizabeth's conception, but trust me on this, that's not normal either, right? Um, Elizabeth was barren and far too old when her and her husband, Zachariah, uh, conceived um, and, and became pregnant. And and we're going to find out a little bit later, but Elizabeth is carrying John the Baptist, and he's a really important figure. So, so Mary and Elizabeth, they're, they're relatives. They've got things to talk about, okay? And so Luke says that Mary, she arose with haste. 
She's in a hurry. She's got to go see Elizabeth. And the way that I imagine it, she's craving pickles and peanut butter, and she is on the move to go talk to her cousin, right? If she doesn't have swollen ankles yet, she's going to soon, because it's a 70 to 80 mile hike from Nazareth to the hill country of Judah where Elizabeth is. And when she arrives, Mary greets her cousin, and then something incredible happens again. The baby in Elizabeth's womb leaps leaps, causing Elizabeth herself in the story to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit gives her understanding, gives Elizabeth um, understanding of what's going on, of the incredible things that are happening. And what I want us to see this morning is, is that Elizabeth sees in her cousin an example of faith, an example of faith. Read with me verses 42 through 45, uh, the way that Elizabeth responds. And she, Elizabeth, exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you, talking to Mary, among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Now, th there's some debate here as to whether or not we should take Elizabeth's words as a, as a hymn or a song in the same way that we're going to see in a moment that Mary's words are a, a hymn in our text. It doesn't really matter because it doesn't change the point that Luke is making. Through the Holy Spirit, God has revealed to Elizabeth these wondrous things that He's doing both in Elizabeth and her cousin Mary and their significance, Right? Both Mary and the fruit of her womb, Elizabeth says, they're blessed. Mary is blessed because she's the chosen one to, to bear the Christ child. And, and of course, the baby is blessed because he's the one who is sent to save God's people from, his, from their sins. And Elizabeth, she can hardly contain herself. She can hardly believe that God would send both her Lord and the mother of her Lord to her house. In fact, it was Mary's presence, or we should probably say the, the baby's presence, Mary's baby's presence that caused Elizabeth's baby to leap in her womb, right? Um, Elizabeth, there is no way that Elizabeth could have understood all of these things as, as she does from our text without the Holy Spirit revealing it to her. Now, what you need to know about the baby in Elizabeth's womb is, that, is this. For 400 years, God has been silent in regards to Israel. He hasn't spoken to them. No prophet had come. Not since Malachi. If you turn to the last um, book of the Old Testament, in Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 through 6, God promised that he would send a prophet, the last prophet, to prepare the way for the Messiah, to announce his arrival. And John the Baptist, the baby in Elizabeth's womb, he's that prophet, and he was right there in Elizabeth's womb, standing in the doorway as Mary greets her with Jesus in her womb. The last prophet is meeting the Messiah, the one he is called to, to proclaim and herald for the very first time in our story this morning. They're, they're meeting each other. And even in the womb, John, he can't contain himself. He's filled with the Spirit and he leaps. But what Luke wants us to see above all else is, that, is what Elizabeth declares to be true about Mary in verse 45. Blessed 
Elizabeth says, blessed is the one who believes. Think with me for a minute all the things that that I've just shared with you since we started. A virgin is going to conceive and have a baby by the Holy Spirit, the descendant promised to God's people all those years ago in Eden, the, the one that God also promised that would make Abraham into a great nation. Who in the world's gonna believe that, right? Who in their right mind, that's crazy. Mary believes it. Mary believes it and Elizabeth calls her blessed. Now listen, Mary's understanding is incomplete. She doesn't understand it all, but she believed the, the word blessed that Elizabeth uses of Mary in verse 45 is actually very different from the two other times before it. It's a different word for blessed. It's, it's actually very similar to the word blessed that Jesus uses in Luke chapter 10 in the Sermon on the Plain, or uh, you might be familiar with Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes. This is what we have here in Luke's gospel. This is the first beatitude. And what that means is that Luke is positioning Mary as a great woman of faith, as someone to be emulated. We should desire to have faith like Mary. Luke wants us to see Mary as an example of faith. Her faith was, uh, it was the kind of faith that led to immediate obedience, immediate obedience. Luke tells us that Mary went with haste. She went with haste to tell Elizabeth all that God had told her. She didn't hang around Nazareth debating the facts. Hey, is this, is this really happening, right? You know, checking the prophets to make sure that it was all, you know, on the up and up. No, no, she, she believed. God had given her good news both for herself and her people, and she got busy telling others about it. She had to tell Elizabeth. Friends, this morning, does your faith lead to immediate obedience. But it was also a faith that ignored the odds. God had not spoken in 400 years. 400 years. And now you mean for me to believe? You mean for me to believe that he's come to a virgin girl from Nazareth that no one had ever heard of? And and her baby is the promised descendant? No way. Mary believed despite the odds. Mary believed that that God is a God who who does impossible things, who is willing to use the people on the margins in unexpected ways to do incredible things. Listen to what Mary says in Luke chapter 1, verse 37. For nothing will be impossible with God. Do you trust God this morning despite the odds, church? We have in Mary an example of faith to be emulated. Well, uh, this brings us to Mary's hymn, or uh, the Magnificat proper. Now, uh, Elizabeth has been praising Mary for her model of faith, but now we're going to see that Mary is going to direct that praise back to God. What what we have here in verses 46 to 55 in Mary's hymn is is a hymn of praise. Now, um, you might be tempted to think that, that this is going to turn into some kind of musical or something. And there's no need for us to think that Mary just broke out into song right there on the front porch of Elizabeth's house and started singing all of this to Elizabeth. That'd be kind of weird, right? It's very possible um, that, that Mary just spoke these things to her, and then in the three-month stay that she hangs around with Elizabeth, composed them into a song later. Luke takes that and he includes that in our text. So uh, the, the point that I, that I want you to see is that we have to treat these passages more like a psalm instead of uh, the gospel, instead of just narrative. This is a song, a piece of poetry. Now, I want to divide the hymn this morning this way. 
First, Mary's going to sing general praises to God in verses 46 to 47. And then in 48 to 49, we're going to see that God has brought peace to Mary. So she's praising him for bringing peace to herself. And then in 50 to 53, the praise is directed to God for bringing peace to all who fear him. All right? And then finally, in verses 54 to 55, God is praised for the peace he brings to Israel, to the nation of Israel. So uh, let's look at these each one at a time. First, uh, verses 46 to 47, Mary begins by, by praising God. Follow along with me in your Bible. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Do you notice the, the repetition of those two verses? It's almost, it's almost rhythmic, like a, like a poem. The, the magnificent, magnificence of, of what God has done leads Mary to extol God and rejoice in Him as her Savior. Now, Luke has intentionally paused the narrative here. He's not so much as telling a story, all right, as much as he's presenting Mary's, uh, Mary's song. Luke is inviting his readers, he's inviting all of us to respond to the things that he's told us God has done with praise and worship, the same praise and worship that, that Mary has just given God. This is, a, this is a pattern in Luke's gospel. Truth, divine truth, revelation, always leads God's people to praise and worship, a lot of times through song. And, and singing truth this morning, church, we know this instinctively, Singing truth is much different than just reading about it or having it preached to us. That's kind of where I want to I go with the application of this because if, if preaching and studying implants God's word into our minds, right? Singing God's word, it drives it deep into our hearts. It, it makes it personal. That's what Mary's doing by singing this song this morning. This truth is not just abstract truth out there about her nation. This is truth for her. It's personal. Through the song, Mary is claiming that what God has said is not only true, it's true for her and it's true about her. Mary's song is, is also truth about us if we are in Christ. It's truth about us, and we are invited, in light of all that we've seen that God has done, a virgin has conceived by the Holy Spirit, the promised descendant has come to bring peace to the world, we're invited to praise and worship God in spite of that as well. Look with me at verses 48 to 49. The, the next part of Mary's song, we're going to see that, that God has brought peace to Mary. For He has looked on the humble, uh, humble estate of his servant, Mary sings. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. Remember who Mary, who Mary was this morning, before all of this happened, before God chose her. What did we say? She's the nobody from nowhere with, with no husband. That's a humble estate to say the least, right? Nobody would have known who she was. Why would God give her such an esteemed position as, as the one to, to bear the mother, uh, to bear the son who would save the world? God has, has taken her, her lowly position and elevated her, raised her up to a, a place of honor such that Mary sings that every generation will call her blessed. I, let me ask you a question this morning. Can you think of another woman in human history who's more famous, who's more well-known than Mary, the mother of Jesus? Right? 
the fact that we're talking about here this morning kind of proves that point, or the fact that probably most all of us in this room have a little Mary fig- figurine on our coffee table or our mantle, and some of you in here, even if you're you know, the super-duper festive of us, right, they've got Mary on their rooftop with lights or Mary in your front yard, right? This, this is the most famous woman in, in all of human history. Uh, what she sings is true. She, God has called her blessed above all women, but notice that, that not even Mary herself allows the focus to remain on her. She will have nothing to do with the, the Mariolatry, the, the worship of Mary that, uh, that our Catholic friends might want us to believe. Mary shifts the focus back to the one who's responsible for all of these incredible things. That's God. He was the one who did this. He was the reason for her praise. He looked on her humble estate and exalted her. Mary calls God the the mighty one of Zephaniah 3.17. He's the great warrior who fights for his people and rescues them. He fights for them and he wins. And he's holy, Mary sings. He's set apart. There's, There's none like him. He is no equal in power or authority. And nothing is impossible with him. Not even the miraculous conception of a baby by the Holy Spirit in the womb of a virgin. He can do whatever he wants. Mary trusted in God who could do the impossible and he brought her peace. That was God's blessing to Mary was was peace. Remember, he exalted her above all women and ultimately saved her by faith in her son's death and resurrection. God God not only... um, didn't only, th- didn't only take away the bad things from Mary, her, 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 the fact that she's a nobody from nowhere, he gave her something better. He exalted her as this blessed one among all women. And listen, friends, God offers the same to any who will repent of their sins and believe in his son today. Because of sin this morning, if you are not in Christ, you are at war with God. You are at war with God. And and Jesus is the only one who can bring you peace. God is offering this morning to exchange your brokenness for Jesus' fullness, His wholeness, your emptiness for His fullness, your sin for His righteousness, your want for His plenty. Listen to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.21. For our sake He made Him, God made Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Friends, if you are not in Christ this morning, if you will repent of your sins today, believe in God's offer of peace through Jesus, God will restore you and He will exalt you as one blessed among all generations, as one of His children, as one of His redeemed. But not only was this, uh, not only was, had God brought peace to Mary... Mary also sings of the peace that he brought to all who fear him. For for Mary, much of of, of her understanding of of all that God had done for her um, and and her people, it was centered on the nation of Israel, right? She's a a woman of her own time, right? It was centered on the, the nation of Israel. But listen, God's blessing of peace, it was extended far beyond than just Israel, right? What God had done for Mary by exalting by exalting her, serves as a picture for us this morning of the peace God was bringing to all who fear Him. Look at verse 50 through 53. 
Luke writes, and, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. She sings, he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He's brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He's filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. Now, uh, you heard the, uh, the idea of, of the fear of the Lord. And His mercy is for those who fear Him. This, this concept of the fear of the Lord has, has deep Old Testament roots. Listen to Proverbs 1 verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So what does it mean to fear the Lord? To, to fear the Lord is to humbly recognize His authoritative position and sovereign power to exercise His will. And it's the beginning of knowledge, the writer of Proverbs says, right? It's the, the beginning of knowledge, knowledge that leads to faith, right? In, in light of this incredible God, right, who can do whatever, whenever, to fear Him leads to knowledge, and knowledge leads to faith. Faith to trust the one with whom nothing is impossible. To those who fear Him, Mary sings, the, the humble and the lowly, those who place their trust in Him, Mary sings that God shows mercy. He brings them peace. Luke wants us to see this morning in Mary's song that peace with God is impossible apart from faith. Peace with God is impossible apart from faith. In mercy, God has brought peace to His people through the baby in Mary's womb. Listen to the angels heralding His birth in Luke 2, 13-14. And suddenly, Luke writes, there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom He is pleased. Friends, uh, this, uh, this Christmas season, people will look for peace. Maybe some of you will look for peace in all kinds of places, right? We'll look for it in our family and our friends. Uh, we may look for it in, in long shopping lists. We may even look for it in uh, time off work, vacations, uh, escapism, getting away from, um, from everything. But none of these things, none of these people can, can negotiate a ceasefire in our war with God, the war that's been going on since Genesis. Nothing, none of those things, none of those people can do that. None of those things, none of those people can fix our brokenness, can fill our emptiness. Peace with God comes only to those with whom He is pleased. And according to the writer of Hebrews, Hebrews eleven six, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Indeed, for those without faith, Mary keeps going. She says, for those who do not fear Him, the proud and the self-sufficient, Mary sings that God bears His arm in strength. He bears His arm in strength. Mary is pointing us again back to the Old Testament, back to the story of the Exodus. In Exodus chapter 6, verse 6, listen to what, uh, listen to what Moses writes. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians and I will deliver you from slavery to them and I will redeem you, there it is, with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. 
Pharaoh refused to fear God. He refused to recognize God's authority and His power. And so God stretched out His arm and brought Pharaoh and the entire nation of Egypt to its knees with ten plagues. We all know that story, right? In a a similar way, Mary sings, for the proud, God has scattered them all in the the proud in their hearts, those who believe that they have no need for God, God uh, Mary sings that God scatters them. All the rulers of the world, Mary sings, all those with human power and authority who do not recognize the God who rules over them, they are brought low. Literally, Mary sings of one who unseats them from their thrones. And in their place, God exalts or raises up those of humble estate, just like He did for Mary. He he lowers the proud and He exalts the humble. In the same way, it's it's those who are are needy, who recognize their, their own emptiness, the hungry whom God fills with goodness, she sings. But the the rich, according to Mary, the rich he he sends away empty-handed with nothing. Now, Luke, he doesn't want us to see a a condemnation here of of wealth and power. Those things can be good. They can be gifts from God. But what he does want us to see is that it is often accompanied, that often wealth and power are accompanied by pride and self-sufficiency, right? This is why Jesus says in Mark chapter 10, verse 25, you know this passage, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. God's mercy is for those who fear Him, those who place their trust in Him, who who are not prideful, not self-sufficient. Mary is singing in our text this morning of the hope of her entire nation, right? That, That one day her people, that Israel would not be oppressed and taken advantage of, by puppet kings and Caesars. At this point in Mary's life, um, her people had been under the Roman, uh, the thumb of the Romans for many, many years, right? And she sings as if, as if God had set them free. She sings about the future in the past tense. Did, did you pick that up this morning, right? God had, had already done these things in Mary's song, but she's clearly singing about the future. What, what's going on there? Mary is singing prophetically. She's singing prophetically about a reversal, about a a cosmic turn of events, right? And a turn of events that's much bigger than even her people, than even the nation of Israel, right? She is singing about a reversal of the fates of all of God's people, of all the people who have uh, placed their faith in God, who, who fear the Lord. And for Mary, it's as good as done. It's done. It's finished. Just as God had reversed her fate, exalting the nobody from nowhere with with no husband, so He will do for all those who fear Him. So He has done for us this morning if we are in Christ. In Christ, God has reversed our fates. Do, Do you know that this morning? That in Christ, God has reversed your fate? Before Jesus... Before Jesus, we were nobodies from nowhere. We were God's enemies, his sinful enemies, and we were destined for an eternity in hell separated from him. We were the epitome of nobodies from nowhere, right? Then Jesus found us, if you're in Christ this morning, he found us and he plucked us from our sin 
He healed our hearts. He put a crown on our heads and he seated us at his table, right? Friends, it doesn't get much better than that, does it, right? To go from, from a sinful nobody from nowhere to one seated at God's table, it doesn't get better than that except that it does because here's the deal. Jesus is coming again because part of the prophetic promise that Mary is singing of is the day when he comes for the second time. When every loss, every shattered dream, every experience of pain, all the things that God's people have suffered for generations at the hand of sinful men that would seek to um, put us down and destroy us, all of that will cease. All of it will be undone. It won't just come to an end. It will be replaced with something better. That's what peace is. This morning we, we lit the candle of peace in celebration of the first advent of peace, Christ's coming, but in anticipation of its second coming, a day when sin and evil would not only cease, but when all that sin and evil has cost us will be repaid a hundredfold, right? For 400 years, think about this, for 400 years God had been silent. He hadn't spoken a word to His people. He hadn't spoken a word, and then all of a sudden, out of the blue, Messiah came. Right? Don't make the mistake this morning of believing that, that God's, or excuse me, of mistaking God's long-suffering for impotence or apathy. He's coming. He's coming again, and when He does, He will make all the sad things come untrue. That is the peace that awaits us this morning. That's the peace that Mary sings of. He's going to reverse our fates and bring us peace that will last forever. Finally this morning, and, um, and in closing, I, I want us to look at uh, the, last, uh, the last three verses. Because Mary is going to explain for us just how God has accomplished all of this. How God is, has done all of this. Let's read verses 54 through 56. Mary sings, He has helped His servant Israel in remembrance of His mercy as He spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to His offspring forever. Right? And then Luke picks up there the last verse 56 telling us, that Mary remained with Elizabeth about three months and returned to her home. Mary returned home after that visit with Elizabeth, confident that God had fulfilled His promise to Abraham. All those years ago, that promise that He made to Abraham in Genesis 12 and 15, that I'm going to make you into a great nation, Mary believed that God had kept His promise. The baby in her womb, her son, was indeed God's help for Israel. He was their, their promised redeemer. But here's the best news of all, because what, what she knew by faith, right? what she's trusting but can't see, we know by sight, because we live on the other side of Jesus coming. right? We know it by sight, and we see it more clearly. Luke is using Mary's song this morning to paint for us a beautiful picture of the unity between the Old and the New Testaments. God hasn't forgotten His mercy as Mary sings. In Christ, He's shown mercy to Mary and to Israel, but He's also shown mercy to you and I and to everyone, as we've already said, who fears Him, who puts their trust in Him as His Messiah. 
Paul picked up on this um, in the New Testament, and he writes one of the most earth-shattering verses in the entire Bible. Read Galatians 3, 7 with me. Know then, Paul writes to the Galatians, that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. That's good news. That is good news this morning. The promise that God made to Abraham in Genesis 12 and 15, the promise that, that Mary was confident God had kept in her son, is the same promise that God has made to all of us this morning if we are in Christ. Jesus is the promised seed of Genesis 3, 14 through 15. He has crushed the serpent's head. In taking our sins upon himself on the cross, he bore God's wrath in our place and he's brought us forgiveness. He's brought us peace with God. In exchange for all of our brokenness, he gives us something better. He gives us peace. He is the one promised descendant of Abraham who made Abraham not just the father of one nation, but the father of many nations, of, of every tribe, tongue, and nation who would place their faith in Jesus the Messiah. Mary believed that God had kept His promise to bring peace through her Son. And this morning, you should too. You should believe it too. Because just as Mary says, right, nothing is impossible with God. And blessed, blessed is the one who believes all that He has spoken. Let's pray. Father, we, we thank You for the great the great gift of peace that you have given us in your Son, that, um, that all those years ago um, when our, uh, our first mother and father plunged the world into darkness, that, that you've kept that promise that you made, you made to them. And you have restored us, brought peace to us, God is no longer angry with us because of what Christ has done, but, but we are now His children, we are redeemed, and He is pleased with us. So we thank You for that good news, and we anticipate the peace that is to come. When, when all the, uh, the hardship, the struggle, uh, the difficulty that, that Your people have experienced, um, when all of it will not just cease, but it will be repaid, a hundredfold. This Christmas, as we celebrate with our families, as we celebrate with our, our friends and our neighbors, I pray that, that the peace that you have brought us in your Son would, would fill us. And that as an overflow of it, that we would declare it to them, that they might have that peace as well. Help us in these things for the glory of your name. Amen.